0: You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit illinilife.org. Good morning. I just got to say I'm very touched that the uh, Gray Fellowship has filled up the whole front row, minus one seat. Can we have a blue or an orange come sit right here? All right, that's fine. So uh, if you didn't know, uh, it's December, and that means Christmas is a coming, whether you like it or not. Now, at Alina Life, we live and breathe on the academic calendar, so we actually won't be together for a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service. I know. Find a church. Uh, There's a lot doing them. So we're going to be doing our Christmas services a little bit early. We're going to do one today, and we're going to do one next week on the 15th. And next week we're gonna pull up, pull out and up, we're gonna pull out and hang up all the stops. There'll be lights, tinsel, snacks. Yeah. It's gonna be great. You know, if we didn't have Belle in this church, we'd never cheer. So thanks, Belle. You're real it's important. So thank you. And what's the point of Christmas, right? It's to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And I I don't know about you all, but it can be easy for me to forget that Jesus, he had a family. Now, of course, we all realize that Jesus had a mom and a, let's call him a half-dad. But they're pretty famous, right? And Mary and Joseph, they make it in the most nativity scenes. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had half-brothers? He had half-sisters. He had aunts and uncles. He had cousins, nieces, nephews, second cousins twice removed from a third marriage. Jesus had a family, and it was probably a big family. And it can be easy to lose sight of this because Jesus, rightly so, he is a singular heroic figure. His greatness overshadows anyone and everyone that has come before him or after him. But Jesus' family is important. And God used his earthly family to accomplish his plans and purposes. God used real people, people like you, to bring Jesus into this world. And he used real people, people like you, to testify and magnify who he was. Now, the message of Jesus can easily be lost. But throughout history, somehow, God has used ordinary humans like you and me to carry on the message of the gospel. Now, similar to Jesus here at Alana Life, we also have a family. It's each other. We are one another's church family. I know I'm a little bit older than you, but you all are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And over the next week, over this weekend next, we're going to be celebrating Christmas together as a community here on campus. Your small group might hold a Christmas party. Hopefully we'll be dropping peppermints into the hot chocolate on the quad. Make sure that happens. You know those puffy ones that melt in your mouth? Ooh, (laughs) So Christmas. And I thought it'd be really fitting that us as a family that we took some time to look at Jesus' family members. And we're going to mainly focus on two of them. His mom, Mary, and her cousin, Elizabeth. And we're going to do this with a two part series that I came up with a really clever title for Mary and Elizabeth. Thank you. The Bible is filled with so many beautiful stories. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, these stories can get forgotten within the collective mind of the church. And if you've been with us over this semester, you've noticed that we've been deeply investing in the different stories told in the Bible. And we've been learning all about the flawed heroes of our faith. We've learned about Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And in light of this narrative trend we bend on, I I thought it was fitting to explore the stories of these two amazing women and their husbands. Because over and over and over again, I'm going to say this a fourth time, God uses ordinary people like you to accomplish extraordinary things. This theme is going to be brought to its most grandiose point when God uses a young teenager, younger than many of you in this room, to bring about the Savior of the world. Jesus comes into the world through a teenage girl. Our story is going to be told in two parts. In part one, we'll hear of two births being foretold And next week, we'll learn about these births being fulfilled. So let's begin with part one, shall we? Our story is going to be taken from the first and second chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And if you want to follow along on your Bible, feel free. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, which is the second half of a Bible, if you have a paper one. But I would actually encourage you to listen, because I'm using a translation today Called the New Living Translation. And and one of its qualities is it reads really nicely. It sounds good, it it comes out of the mouth easily. And here's the picture in my head that I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of imagine. Imagine that we all just had a Christmas party together. We ate some food, we drank some alcohol free eggnog. We're all wearing slippers, right? And we decided to gather around the tree to listen to Old Man Rusty tell a tale. And this tale is going to be about, don't, let's not make that a nickname. Uh, this tale's going to be about Jesus' mom and her cousin. Can, can you picture this? I wish I had a chair, but I don't. Because uh, I'm young man Rusty. All right, let's dive in. We're going to be reading from Acts, I mean, sorry, Luke 1, 5-2. He wrote Acts as well. All right. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Here at the beginning of the story, we meet two of our characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we learn about Zechariah's form of employment. He was a Jewish priest, a man of the cloth, if you will. In our context, he would have been a pastor or an elder. Zechariah was one of the religious leaders of the people of God. And being a priest, he would have been married, and his wife's name was Elizabeth. We'll come to find out later that Mary and Elizabeth are related. And what do we learn about Elizabeth and Zechariah? We learn not only that they are a respected religious family, but Elizabeth even comes from the priestly line of Aaron. Aaron, if you didn't know, was the brother of Moses, who you may know from the Let My People Go or Parting of the Red Sea. And Aaron was the very first priest of Israel. So can you kind of connect that dot on why being a part of his lineage would have been a big deal for the wife of a priest? Many people in their community would have looked up to them. Not only were they a priestly family, but Elizabeth's lineage would have been seen as this extra blessing. And not only were they pillars of their community, they were, and I quote, righteous in God's eyes and careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments. Uh, Simply put, they, they were just really amazing believers. The kind of family you would look up to and aspire to. Truly inspirational people. And Luke makes a point to mention this because they were also barren. And barrenness in their culture would have been viewed as a punishment from God. But that narrative would have been hard to reconcile because not only was Zechariah a priest, but they were really righteous people. Why would God be punishing righteous people? If you let your imagination run a little, you can think that this was probably the sort of thing people talked about behind their backs. Oh, Brenda, I I just can't understand why the good Lord wouldn't let Zach and Liz have a sweet little baby. They are just the most holy couple I've ever met, but maybe they got some skeletons in their closet. the the people that knew Elizabeth and Zechariah would have felt bad for them. But they also would have been tempted to believe that God was punishing them for something. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as our story continues. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests. he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, praying. Now, I'm going to make an assumption. I'm assuming that most of you here aren't super familiar with the religious practices of Second Temple Judaism. Can I get an amen? Amen. Any religious studies majors? Actually, I know a few things. For the sake of time, I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty. But there's one important thing you must know. This day when Zechariah would be able to enter the sanctuary and burn incense, would have been a huge day for him because a priest could only offer incense once in his lifetime. It was considered a huge privilege. And there were priests that never got a chance to burn the incense. This was very easily the most important day of Zechariah's priestly life. The the pinnacle, if you will, of his tenure He would have been wearing his best robes. His family would have known all about it. And you can imagine that Elizabeth would have been standing outside with the crowd praying. It's very important to keep in mind what a big day this was for Zechariah because of what happens next. And what happens next is going to make this incense ceremony feel so insignificant. Let's continue. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Plot twist standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed. Who here has seen an angel? Yeah, me neither. But I imagine I'd be that. He was overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And Listen to what the angel says back to him. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until a child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Huge plot to us, right? Now, now, as I've thought about it, if you're going to run into an angel anywhere, it's probably going to be within the sanctuary of a temple, right? But we're showing very vividly Zechariah was not expecting this. He was shaken. He was overwhelmed. He would have already been nervous about this once-in-a-lifetime incense ceremony, so adding a vision and an angel would have been a lot. Now, as most angels do, the angel Gabriel offers comfort to Zechariah, And he gives him the prophecy that Elizabeth will bear a son. And that baby boy will be named John. And just as a side note, John means God is a gracious giver. And you now know why so many people are named John. In my family, I think we have 11. That's not a joke. Megan just said that. Uh, Understandably, Zechariah is in disbelief. And I'm curious, did his response remind you of anyone? Did it remind you of a certain Old Testament figure that we studied a few weeks ago with Dr. Kate Norcross? Pop quiz. Who? Easy. I'm running out of time. Abraham! Abraham. Thanks, JD. Good for JD. <laughs> Be like JD. Answer my questions. It's Abraham, right? With Zechariah being a priest, he would have been very familiar with Abraham's story. And what did Abraham do all those years ago? He scoffed at God, saying, How could I become a father at the age of 100? And how could Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? Isn't it amazing how history repeats itself? And how even a highly regarded and very righteous religious man can still question God? I I mean, can you imagine questioning an angel? That's like the last person I would question. I, I don't know about you, but I find Gabriel's response to be pretty funny. He's like, listen, Zach, I literally stand in the presence of God. And you're going to doubt me? All right, how about this? How about that mouth of yours that is saying all this dumb stuff? I'm going to make it not work until that baby is born. How's that for a sign, Zechariah?" I love thinking of angels as these kind of disgruntled beings. It's funny to me. <laughs> but what's cool is that Zechariah's muteness—I imagine it becomes a powerful sign to him. And I loved—I I, love that Zechariah was forced into silence because as someone who talks too much, it was probably helpful for him to have kind of a, a forced quietness so he could meditate and worship, and ruminate on the amazing thing that was happening to him and his spouse. Our story continues. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. The group of people standing outside praying were starting to get antsy. Where was he? Did he have a heart attack? Did God smite him? Did he fall asleep? All of these questions were answered when he did come out. And when he couldn't talk, they realized something extraordinary had happened. Now, I really wish Luke would have given us a little insight into what the conversation between Zechariah and Elizabeth was like, but he didn't. So we just got to leave that to our imaginations. He does continue on with this story. Luke continues to write. He says, Soon afterward, the wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind is the Lord, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. He has taken away my disgrace. Scholars aren't 100% certain why Elizabeth went into seclusion. It could have been a common practice, practice for a pregnant woman in that culture, or she just may have wanted time alone with the now-mute Zechariah to reflect on this amazing miracle and spend time worshiping God in private. Regardless, during this time of isolation, she acknowledges the kindness of God and praises him for taking away her disgrace. As I was studying this passage, this word disgrace punched me in the stomach. I couldn't stop thinking about this shame and sadness Elizabeth must have wrestled with her whole life over being infertile. Infertility isn't something we talk about a ton, but it is very common. According to the Office on Women's Health, about 10% of women ages 15 to 44 have difficulty getting or staying pregnant. And according to some studies, infertility affects approximately 7% of men as well. Now, on campus, a lot of us don't believe that a divine being is punishing infertile couples. We, We understand it more as a biological issue. Because of this, though, we have to remind ourselves that Elizabeth would have been carrying an extra heavy form of cultural baggage. Not only does she have the unhelpful pity and the discomforting religious platitudes of her community, which is still commonplace in 2019. But she also would have had to have known that many of her friends and peers believed that God was punishing her, that God was punishing her husband, and that that was why they were infertile. With that extra layer, can you imagine, can you imagine the relief she must have felt when she got pregnant? And how does that relief express itself? She praises God. How kind is the Lord. Act one will now come to a close as we leave Elizabeth and Zechariah, silently pondering this miracle. And our story will shift north to Nazareth where we find a young woman named Mary. Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Our friend Gabe, the angel, is back, and he's back with a second prophecy. This time he's revealing it to a young woman named Mary. Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. And uh, just as an aside, betrothal was kind of a more serious form of engagement. Any engaged couples in the house? Oh, yeah! A new one, Zach! Good for Zach! (laughs) I love when people get engaged. It's like, it's up there. We're going to Disney World and Christmas presents. Anyway, betrothal is like, Think of it as engagement plus, right? So when you were betrothed in that time, you were not married. You were engaged in an intense way, and you couldn't break the betrothal. You had to get a divorce to end it, so it was a much more formal way of being engaged. Nowadays, you just, give the, you just throw the ring at them. It's over. <laughs> so she was betrothed, and she would have been a virgin, This is key to keep in mind as our story continues. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Now, understandably, right, Mary was confused and disturbed. And on the surface, you could read her response as being similar to Abraham's and Zechariah's. But Gabriel was compassionate and informative to to her. So we have to examine her question in a different way. Her question was from a position of logistics and genuine curiosity. She was not scoffing at this angel like the old men were. She genuinely wanted to know, how can a virgin give birth? Will Joseph need to be involved? Do we need to move up our wedding date and resend our invitations? Gabriel breaks down the process and reveals to her that something mysterious will happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon her and an an embryo will be created and it will take hold and over the course of nine months, little baby Jesus will grow and develop and incarnate. How cool is that? The other thing Gabriel appreciates is that Mary is young and she was probably freaking out inside. So he tells her about her cousin Elizabeth, who is also conveniently having a miraculous pregnancy. And this seed of an idea will lead Mary to go visit with her. Now there's another element that's really easy to miss on why Mary is disturbed. Mary had faith. She believed that with God anything was possible and that she would be able to conceive as a virgin. But she would also appreciate the risks that come with being pregnant out of wedlock. People would assume she was either an adulterer or they would assume that her and Joseph were having premarital sex and conceived a child accidentally. Now, though it wasn't commonly practiced in the Jewish tradition, the death penalty for adultery was death. So she would have had this underlying fear. There was a, a possibility that Joseph would leave her and probably more pragmatically, she probably would have lived the rest of her life with a scarlet letter and, and a, a son that people would call a bastard. We cannot lose sight of the bravery of this teenager. Listen to her reply. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. What a powerful picture of obedience in the face of her reputation being ruined, in the the face of her husband abandoning her, and, and the possibility of death. Mary stays firm, and she humbly submits to God's plan, and she does this all while being a teenager. The application for me is obvious. No matter the circumstance, we must obey God. And we can never use our youth as an excuse not to. Mary is great. And her greatness is well documented in church history. Our story now is going to shift to its third act. As Mary takes heed of the information the angel Gabriel gave her and she makes her way south to Elizabeth. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Following the visit from Gabriel, Mary didn't waste any time getting to Elizabeth, and she traveled over 100 miles to get to her. Let's look at a map. There's Nazareth. That's where Mary would have been. And she took a little journey down to the hill country of Judea. Now, 100 miles, that's like, that's like the south side of Chicago, right, from here? That's no joke. Can you imagine doing that on a donkey or a, your foot? It would have taken a long time. And and we don't totally know why Mary was so urgent in leaving, but I have a guess. My guess is that Mary was probably excited to celebrate with Elizabeth about her pregnancy. But I also imagine Mary probably just wanted to get out of town. She wanted time and space to wrap her mind around the news of her miraculous pregnancy. During the trip... Mary would have had ample time to meditate on all these things. And she would have been worshiping God. Now upon Mary's arrival to Elizabeth's house, John the Baptist, while he was in utero and before he had the nickname, that little guy, he leaped for joy. Because even as a baby in the womb, he was able to recognize the presence of the coming Messiah. How incredible is that? As the angel told Zechariah, John was filled with the Spirit even before his birth, and he somehow knew who Jesus was. This leap is a revelation to Elizabeth, and she herself is filled with the Holy Spirit. And at some point, she was given the knowledge of who the baby was within Mary's womb. Let's listen to what Elizabeth says in this moment. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, Mary. God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You will be blessed, my life, if you remain steadfast. In your faith in God. Elizabeth knew that Mary was carrying the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That word she used, Lord, that's giving this this unborn baby an exalted title. You don't call a baby in or out of the womb Lord, right? You call it cutie pie. And I, I love this picture so much. Two women carrying in their wombs two very special children. Elizabeth carrying John, who would be the forerunner to Jesus, coming in the power and the spirit of Elijah, fulfilling centuries-old prophecy. And Mary, carrying in her womb, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior here in 2019. Now this man, Jesus, he's gonna grow up And he's going to have three very impactful years of ministry. And then he's going to go on to defeat death on the cross by the means of his powerful resurrection from the dead. Mary and Elizabeth and the unborn John the Baptist may not have known all the details. But they knew enough to leap and to shout and to proclaim with joy the good news of Jesus and the salvation he brings for the people of God. I would ask you, a line of life, if an elderly pregnant lady and a baby fetus can jump for joy at the news of Jesus, what is stopping you from celebrating and rejoicing over the birth of Jesus' Christmas? You guys got young ligaments. You can jump and run around in circles very easily. Elizabeth, you know... Her ligaments were no spring chickens. So, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from rejoicing? Because if I'm being honest, and I'll lump myself into this, I, I'm not prone to rejoicing and leaping for joy on Christmas, right? I'm prone to being stressed out and mad at my family. <laughs> so, so what is it? What's stopping you from leaping with joy? Is it the stress of finishing exams? Yeah. Amen. Is it the hustle and bustle of present shopping? You guys want money yet? <laughs> oh, mom, I drew you a picture for Christmas. <laughs> Again. gun. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's the anxiety, right? Like, I, I was half kidding. Like, going home for the holidays can be stressful because you're probably going to get in a fight with a family member. Whatever it is. I life, I'm pleading with you. Let's set aside time to rejoice that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. God became a baby, and we don't remember being babies, but we can look at babies. There's really nothing more humiliating for a God, for the God, not a God, the only God, to do. The God of the universe became a baby. He couldn't feed himself. He, He couldn't clean up after himself. And he became a baby so he could grow up and become a man and be our sympathetic high priest who willingly marched to Calvary, dying for our sins and resurrecting from the dead three days later. All this so we can share in his resurrection. Can I get an amen? Can I get a shout of joy from you, my Life? Woo! That was good. No one said yippee though. I was hoping for a yippee. Can we go yippee? Yippee! That felt weird. All right, you already dabbled in this, but I have homework for you guys. You just did a practice. Your homework this week is to be like Mary and Elizabeth and little tiny baby John in his mama's belly. I want you to find a space, preferably outside, and leap for joy. Shout with gladness. Worship God. Write a poem. Draw a picture, craft a short story. Find some way to express your joy at the conception of our Savior Jesus Christ. If you want, put it on Instagram, tag a line of life, and then we can all like it. You know? I want to see you guys leaping for joy at the conception of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of ways for us to creatively express our joy. But here's what Mary did Mary wrote a song. And we're going to read that song here in a minute. And as you listen, you're going to hear this first line, which the NLT translates as, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. But there's another way to read this passage that I I like a little bit better. Some translations say, My soul magnifies the Lord. And if you've grown up in a traditional denomination, you're going to recognize this passage as the Magnificat. Named after the Latin word for magnify. And that's what Mary does with her song. And that's what you're going to do with your leaping Instagram video. You're going to magnify God. Mary makes God big. She acknowledges how glorious and wonderful and awe-inspiring he is. He is a God of miraculous pregnancies. And it's such a powerful example to us that we need to make time to worship God through the ups and downs of our lives. And especially during this holiday season where for many of us the last person we're thinking about is Jesus. We need to carve out time during this holiday to rejoice and be glad in Him. To be joyful. To to thank God. To create our own songs. Our own magnificence, Reveling. And how good God is. It's with Mary's song that we are con- going to conclude part one of this tale. And we're going to be working towards the intermission of our story. I hope you will return next week for part two as we see these two births fulfilled and we read the story behind the holiday that we celebrate every December 25th. So let's now listen to Mary's song as we close. And if you want, feel free to close your eyes and just soak it in. And let's use her song as an inspiration for our lives as we seek out ways to leap for joy and creatively express our gladness at the promised Savior, Jesus Christ. The Song of Mary.